Join me in a word of prayer as we begin. God, we thank you for how much you love us, that you would send your son, that you would grant us eternal life, not just now, not just in the future, Lord, but now. Lord, we pray you would continue to send your spirit upon us and renew us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I think our gospel passage this morning, it really gets at the heart of what Lent is all about. Sure, we pray and we fast and we might give to those in need. We might do other things where we abstain from something or we take something on, but all of that is for the sake of drawing closer to Jesus. That's what you see Nicodemus doing in this passage. He's trying to get nearer to Jesus, figure out what Jesus is all about. And eating healthier and developing self-control or anything else that might happen as a byproduct of our Lenten disciplines, those aren't the goals in in of themselves, right? The goal is Jesus, and those things just may happen to come alongside that. And I think it's in our stumbling and in our imperfect devotion that we are met with the grace and love of God. I think as we look at Nicodemus this morning, I hope you see a lot of yourself in Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't have Jesus all the way figured out, but he wants to know him. I want to suggest that Nicodemus actually might be an unlikely guide for us as we journey through Lent. I've picked out three things I've observed in this story that I think can help us as we think about drawing closer to Jesus during this Lenten season that we see Nicodemus do. Firstly, he seeks Jesus out, right? He's intentional about that. Secondly, he asks questions of Jesus, right? And if you ask a question, hopefully you're ready to listen to the response as well. And thirdly, he learns to trust Jesus, even if imperfectly, more and more and more. Just a side note, for some of you, we've, we've talked about this before, but um, as I was preparing to preach, I was struck by the, the scene in the Chosen series. If you've watched the Chosen series, they do a great job portraying with some imagination, what this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus might have looked like. It's in season one, episode seven, if you want to look it up. If you just YouTube Chosen and Nicodemus, I think they even have like the clip of just that scene, but I'd recommend the whole um, series to you as well. So as we begin, I think if we're looking at Nicodemus, we need a little background, right? Who is this guy? Well, firstly, right, he's a Pharisee. Pharisees were a Jewish sect that was known for their strict obedience of Jewish law. Actually, they were so strict in their obedience to the law that they actually set up a bunch of other rules and laws so that if you kept those rules and laws, it would be virtually impossible for you to break the things in the Old Testament. And there was a reason behind all of this. It wasn't always just about rules for the sake of rules, but the idea was that when the nation of Israel kind of practiced this revival, this coming back to the Lord, this keeping of the law, what that would ultimately mean is that God would send his Messiah that he had promised, and they might be free of Roman captivity. And Nicodemus, he wasn't just any Pharisee, 
but he was one of the elite Pharisees, so to speak. He was a member of something called the Sanhedrin. They were kind of like the temple council, if you will. They were not only religiously important, but socially they held very high status in the community. They're the ones who oversaw all the temple affairs. A lot of times they would kind of be some of the go-betweens between the Jewish people and the Romans. Nicodemus, he was a well-known teacher in his own right. Nicodemus likely had disciples who followed his teachings, his way of interpreting the Jewish law. And all of this background and this context is important because it helps us to understand, as John sets the scene, why Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. So firstly, Nicodemus seeks out Jesus, right? He seeks them out at night. So Jesus' teachings were even controversial amongst the Jews of his day. Jesus called into question many of the rules and religious customs that people like the Pharisees, like a Nicodemus, might be teaching widely. All throughout the Gospels, right, we run into instances where Jesus and the Jewish leaders of the time, they're on opposite sides. They're critical of Jesus, And to top it all off, right, Jesus is performing these amazing miracles and signs that Nicodemus himself says, this has to be from God. I have no other explanation for what this man is able to do. We don't really know why Nicodemus went to Jesus. Again, you've got a a really interesting imaginative interpretation that's faithful to the biblical text that some of you might have in your mind if you've seen the Chosen series. But like I mentioned in the beginning, it's really significant that he came at night. Part of that reason is, right, Jesus was kind of the enemy. So if Jesus and Nicodemus were seen meeting in the middle of the day, the other Pharisees, the other members of the Sanhedrin might begin to cast some suspicion on Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus, are you you with us or are you with this guy who's stirring up trouble, this Jesus guy? So light and dark are two themes that run all the way through John's gospel. If you read it closely, you will see that imagery popping up all over the place, right? We come back to the prologue in John chapter 1. We know that Jesus comes, right? John says this, Jesus comes to bring bring the light of God into the world and to dispel the darkness, right? What happens at night? Darkness. And while Nicodemus has rightly observed what Jesus is doing, right? What he's about, so to speak, he still doesn't have the full sense of how Jesus is this definitive revelation of the Father, Nicodemus is likely coming under the cloud of darkness because he has a lot to lose if he's seen with Jesus. I think there's two ways we can think about this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. I think on the one hand, right, we might be a little critical of Nicodemus and this act of apparent self-preservation, right, kind of hiding in the shadows to go see Jesus, right? Nicodemus, why weren't you more bold in searching after Jesus? But at the same time, If we think about it, Nicodemus is the only Pharisee who goes out of his way to seek after Jesus, right? To find the answers, to go to the source, to say, what is this guy all about? I think we can cut Nicodemus a little bit of slack there, right? Even if Nicodemus does have mixed motivations, 
he still goes to Jesus. Do any of us ever have the purest of motivations, right? Don't we all live, live with a little bit of these mixed motivations sometimes? And I think during this Lenten season, the question we should be asking ourselves as we think about the story is, are we willing to leave sin and some of the darkness behind in our lives to seek out Jesus? What are some things in your life that might be holding you back from seeking Jesus? Are they reputation? Are they comfort? Are they relationships? Those are all three things that Nicodemus was putting on the line, right? What would the other Pharisees and leaders think about me if I do this? You know, Nicodemus had a high place in society to be seen with Jesus might disrupt some of that, right? He may not get invited to all the Hanukkah parties the next year, right? His relationship webs were going to be disrupted by this interaction with Jesus. These are precisely the sorts of things that Nicodemus is wrestling with in the dark. And yet when Nicodemus encounters Jesus, right, these shadowy things will fade in comparison to the brilliance of God's mercy that Jesus reveals to him. So firstly, right, he seeks Jesus. Secondly, Nicodemus asks questions. I think it's safe to say that this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus would surely have been longer than just what John records in the gospel, right? In some ways, John is just recording the highlights of the conversation, right? These are two men who know the scriptures, who have lots to say about God. It, I would imagine, and this is exactly what the Chosen series does, right? Their conversation is probably going late into the night. Nicodemus is trying to figure this stuff out, right? It's because it's kind of blowing up Nicodemus's world, everything he thought about God. Nicodemus recognizes that he's a great teacher from God and that the miracles are proof. Yet Jesus responds to this kind of compliment with this odd saying, right? What does he say in, in verse three? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, seek the, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is right when Nicodemus begins to ask the questions, because that's a strange thing. And, and it's clear, right, from Nicodemus's question that he doesn't get it, right? He basically says something to the extent of, well, how can an old person be born again? That doesn't make any sense, right? That, that does, that's not how biology works. But I think what's interesting is that even in Nicodemus's ignorance and his lack of understanding, he doesn't give up, right? He keeps asking those questions. He's still seeking. He's staying close enough to Jesus to ask those questions and to hear Jesus's response. Jesus's response helps Nicodemus to see that there's more to Jesus than just the surface appearance of a great teacher and maybe even a miracle worker. To only see Jesus as that is, is to miss what's really happening, right? We need a, John says we need a heavenly perspective, not a fleshly or worldly one to really understand what Jesus is about. And what Jesus is doing is it's a work of God, a work of the spirit, this act of spiritual birth, right? Rebirth, to be born again. That's what his followers will see. So some of you may know this, right? This is not a clever thing that I've dug up. This is, this is somewhat common knowledge, but the words, the Greek word 
for spirit and wind are essentially the same thing. And so you get this interesting play on words that Jesus responds with, right? He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Right, the picture I have in my mind is that like the wind, right? We can't see the spirit at work sometimes, right? We can't see what the wind is doing, but what can you see when the wind blows? You don't see the wind itself. You see the effect that the wind has on other things, right? When the spirit is at work, there's fruit that happens. So Nicodemus knew a lot about how he perceived God to work, right? He was this religious authority, this teacher, yet he was still willing to be curious, to ask questions, to challenge what he thought about God in the face of Jesus. And I think for me, as I was thinking about this, this is a word for me. This is a word for those of us who have maybe followed Jesus for a while, right? There can be the temptation to think that we know all the answers, right? Here we are in Lent again. We know how this works. These are the things I always give up. This is how God works, right? But I think Jesus challenges us against just going through Nicodemus as well, right? Challenges us against just going through the religious motions. I think, right, when we check out, when we go through the motions, when we don't ask questions, when we don't want to genuinely hear from God, I think what can happen is we may end up shaping God in our own image, not actually reckoning with who we see in front of us in Jesus. So during this Lenten season, I want to challenge us to ask questions. Ask questions about God. Ask questions about yourself. Ask questions about the world around you. But don't just ask the questions for the sake of asking the questions, right? Draw near to Jesus to hear his answer. And I think more importantly, when we do this, we'll find that God is actually asking questions of us, right? It's not a one-way thing. God asks questions of us. Lastly, the third thing, Nicodemus trusts Jesus more and more. So we happen to have one of the most famous Bible verses, right? This is probably right up there with verses from Psalm 23 in terms of verses that almost anyone knows, right? People know John 3.16. And I think, right, our senses can maybe be dulled to the power of this proclamation, right? That God loved the world so much that he sent his son to show us the heart of God. What was that heart like? I want to add verse 17. I think it's a little bit of a shame that the lectionary leads off verse 17. This is what verse 17 says after John 3, 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you want to know what the heart of God is? It's not condemnation, right? It's salvation. It's grace. It's transformation. It's the work of the Spirit in our lives. This is what the signs and teachings of Jesus are ultimately about. Our need to encounter the life-giving Spirit of God to save us when we couldn't save ourselves on account of our sin. Quickly, referencing Genesis and Romans, right? We get this picture of Abraham, right? Abraham is this reminder all throughout scripture that we don't earn our own favor before God, 
right? But it, that it's grace by faith alone by which we're saved. Yes, Abraham did this amazing act of faith in leaving his homeland to follow what the Lord said. But, right, read further on in the Genesis. Abraham wasn't perfect. Abraham got things as wrong as he got it right a lot of the times. It wasn't about Abraham's perfect obedience. It is about his ability to say yes to God and to trust him, even if it wasn't perfect. So what happens to Nicodemus? If you follow John's gospel, Nicodemus appears two more times in the gospel. The, he appears in chapter 7 and chapter 19. So in chapter 7, right, we're in chapter 3, so kind of 7's becoming middle-ish the book. We see the, a group of Pharisees who are sending guards to arrest Jesus, but the guards have come back empty-handed. So the Sanhedrin and these Pharisees, they're there kind of vigorously discussing, what are we going to do with Jesus? How are we going to stop this guy who's messing with what we believe about God? And Nicodemus is named as someone who speaks up, who says essentially that the law requires that they would have a hearing that Jesus would have to speak for himself so that they would know what Jesus is about. That they can't just arrest this guy and throw him in jail, but they at least need to figure out what Jesus is doing. And later on, Jesus appear, I mean, Nicodemus appears in chapter 19. In chapter 19, Jesus has been crucified. He's being taken down off the cross. There's a man named Joseph of Arimathea, right, who has this tomb, this plot where he's going to bury Jesus. And do you know who helps bury Jesus? Nicodemus. Nicodemus is prepared. John records that Nicodemus has about 75 pounds of herbs and spices and oils that would be appropriate for a burial, right? I don't just walk around with 75 pounds of that stuff, right? This was an intentional act of Nicodemus. And do you know what else is significant about that time at the cross? Jesus' most devoted followers, by this point, they've run. They're hidden. They're not there. But who's there to bury Jesus? Nicodemus. Maybe he didn't have it, everything about Jesus figured out. It happened gradually as he sought Jesus out, right? as he asked questions, and as he trusted him more and more and more. I want to close with a, a short story um, an encounter that I had this week alongside uh, Father Gabe and, and David Walton. We were over in Mobile and we were visiting a place called the uh, Port City Samaritans Home. Um, some of you may have heard us speak about this. This is the group that during the cold snap in December brought a bunch of homeless people off of the street, right? People who were displaced, who were needing shelter, right? And I think some of you maybe have heard about this in the news. Well, anyways, this group has kind of continued going, but they're kind of refining their, their approach. Instead of trying to cater to the masses, they're saying, how can we have a large impact on a smaller number? And so this is, they've turned their facility into a transitional housing thing for men. They've got about 10 men who are living there right now, and they're there because of relationships. They're there to do things like get jobs to get them back on the feet, their feet, provide structure, be in community where they have different things that they're agreed upon as part of their community, including things like Bible study. And so we were there visiting with the guy who's their director, a guy named John. And he was just telling us about their work and, and what they're doing and how he's seen God work. 
And while we were there talking and hearing from John, a man named James walked by and he said, James, hey, come over here. Tell them about what this place has meant to you. Tell them about the transformation that's happening in your life right now. And so James came over and he talked to us. And if you saw James, you wouldn't guess that he lived at the Port City Samaritan home. If you ran into him Walmart, he just looks like a normal guy. He had said that it had been a struggle, but in the time that he had been there, about a couple months or so, he cleaned himself up. He was wrestling with some of the consequences of the wrong decisions that he was making. He had a job. He was working on kind of getting his life right. And he said something that was really interesting to me. And he said what he what he'd reflected upon is the fact that he needed to make a change and this change was bigger than him. He needed the help of God because what he said to us was that everywhere I go, I take myself and all the things that I'm working with. But in that home, he was met with the grace of God and God's grace poured out through other people. And that was a catalyst through the power of the Spirit for change in his life. So my encouragement to us is during this Lenten season that we would be like James, that we would be like Nicodemus, and that we would seek after God, that we would ask questions and really try to hear from God and that we would learn to trust Jesus more and more and more. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.